what it means that Christ's love is actually life-changing. So we're talking about a different life. And today, I'm really excited. Uh, we're going to be going through 1 Corinthians 4, and we're going to be talking about something that's very near and dear to my heart and something that uh, it was totally by accident. Craig didn't, didn't know this at all, but it's something that I've been wanting to preach, honestly, uh, at this church and something that's been in my heart for, for our church for a long time. So I'm really, really, really excited. Um, but before we begin, we're doing something uh, this summer. We're actually going to read through uh, the chapter together. I want us to read through the word together. Before you hear from me, I want you to hear from the Lord, and I want you to hear from his word. And then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to dive into what the Lord has for us today. So if you will, please open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read through, and then again, I'm just going to dive into prayer. And I'm going to launch into this sermon today. All right. This is 1 Corinthians 4. This is the NIV version. So then, men and women ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't even make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness, and he'll expose the motives of men and women's hearts. At that time, each person will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so you might learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over or against another. For who you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men and women. We're fools for Christ, but you're so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're so strong. We are, we are dishonored. You're honored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own two hands. When we're cursed, we bless people. When we're persecuted by them, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this very moment, we've become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many parents. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He'll remind you of the way of life in Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but by what power they have, by what power they have for the kingdom of God, some translations you'll read will say for the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not a matter of talk or words, but power. What do you prefer? Shall I come with a whip or in love and a gentle spirit? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray today we would understand what it means that you're our judge, God. 
I pray we'd understand, Lord, what it means that you are the end, that you're the beginning, the end, the Alpha and Omega, and I pray, God, that it would change our lives. I pray your love would become life-changing for us. In your name, amen. Okay, well, again, good morning. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be preaching from 1 Corinthians uh, for, for a few reasons. First and foremost, before we dive any further into this, I want to hit on a few things, just a few contextual things. I think it's always important. This book is, uh, at best, the, the most late books in the 66 things we call, we call the Bible are 2,000 plus years old. Uh, some of them are up to four or even 5,000 years old. So it's important that we understand what we're reading because otherwise we'll miss it. So the first and foremost thing I want to do, I, I want us to understand the context of Corinthians. Uh, see, the Corinthian church, it's really special. I love preaching on Corinthians because the Corinthian church is us. See, in the ancient world, uh, most churches were being persecuted. Most churches were incredibly impoverished. Most churches uh, didn't have stability politically or socially. And most churches were pretty localized. They were pretty homogenous. They, they, everyone looked pretty much the same because it was the church in Philippi. It was the church in Ephesus. It was the church in country. It was the church in this place. But for whatever reason, Corinth had this really unique situation, this really special situation that we find ourselves in today. And it's rare, something we need to understand. This is not the norm today, and it wasn't the norm back then. Most Christians don't experience this context, and, and most Christians never have, but we do, and the Corinthians did. And there's three things that Corinth had that Paul talks about. You heard him talking about this. You're kings, you rule, even though most of us don't. What he's saying there, he's saying this. Hey, first and foremost, this was a church that was very wealthy. They had government officials in this church. There were people with political power with a lot of, of wealth there. So this was a church that ever, there were homeless people in this church too. There were poor people in this church. But for whatever reason, everyone in this church pretty much came out looking a lot more wealthy than the average church member around the world at their time. And the other thing about this church, uh, they had political rights. They had sway. They, 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 had, like, they had substance when they walked around the world. They could preach the gospel. They could share their faith. They could have a church service without worrying about people coming in and arresting them. They could share the gospel with their family without worrying about being kicked out of their home. And that wasn't the norm, and it still today isn't the norm but it's the situation we find ourselves in. And the last thing about this church, about the Corinthian church that, that's true about us today, they were incredibly diverse. Part of the reason why Paul is writing this letter in 1 Corinthians and why he read, writes another letter in 2 Corinthians is because there's this situation in this church because they don't know how to deal with everyone's stuff. Because see, they've got people who are literally the equivalent of millionaires in the same room as people who are homeless. They have people who are black and white and red and brown in the same room. They have Jews and Gentiles. They have people from every ethnicity, every background, every theology. At one point, when we get to the end of Corinthians, he's going to start talking about how they have theological differences. He talked about that a little bit in the last chapter. Roberto talked about that a little bit. They had denominational issues. Some people followed Apollo. Some people followed Paul. Some people followed this or that. It was this incredibly diverse, incredibly wealthy compared to the rest of the world, incredibly comfortable church. And we find ourselves in the same space today. So what I want everyone to hear is even though this is a 2,000-year-old book, even though we, we don't live in Corinth, this letter, I love preaching on it because the letter to the Corinthians is the letter to the American church today. And it's the letter to, to PCC today. This is the Holy Spirit's way of speaking to us. So if there's a book in the Bible 
that is meant for PCC. It's this one here. So I'm so excited we're going through it today, just to understand this is God's book to us as a community. The second thing I want us to dive into is this reality we're going into today. See, Paul begins this chapter with this statement, the Lord is judge. In this, in this verse here, I'm just going to read one verse from this passage, but in verse 4, verses 1 through 5, specifically this is verse 4, he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He builds his entire chapter here off of this idea, the Lord is my judge. And the Lord is your judge and the Lord is our judge. And at the end of time, God's the one who's gonna judge us. We hear that word judge and we don't like it. I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I grew up being told don't judge people. I grew up literally hearing every single week, you're not the boss of me, who made you king of anything? That was like the, the pop song on the radio. I used to scream in the, in the car while I was driving, who made you king of anything? Like we, we literally grew up in this context where that word judge is terrible. It's terrible. And yet one of the first things Paul wants us to understand in this, in this chapter in Corinthians, the thing he wants us to get is God is judge. And you wonder, how can God be loving how can he be good? How can he be caring if what he does is judge us? Kind of scary, kind of crazy. Well, here's one of the things I want us to understand. When we say God is judge, when, when Paul says that, when the Holy Spirit says that I'm the judge, there's three words uh, that I want us to understand that, that are in scripture that go along with this word judge. See, in the ancient Greek, when this was written, the word that Paul actually uses is the word krino. Krino. And what that word means, it, it's the word for judge in ancient Greek, but it doesn't just mean like a judge like we think of him. What it means is the one who has utmost authority. If you were in a legal situation, if you were trying your case, or if you were in a situation with any sort of government situation, there'd always be a Krino there, whoever the Krino was, and they were the representative of Caesar or the king. So in that moment, whoever was the Krino was the authority in the room. They were the king in the room. And whatever they said at the end of a case, when, when, a, when something was being parsed out, when a situation was being decided, the crino made the judgment, and that was it. They'd have the court proceeding, everything would follow through, and the crino would listen to everything, and he'd observe, and at the end of the time, sometimes days, sometimes hours, maybe even minutes, whenever the crino decided it's done, I've made my decision, the crino would just say, that's it, here's the last word, this is it. And so the first thing that we got to understand that Paul is saying when he says the Lord is judge, he's saying, hey, God is the authority of existence. Saying Jesus has authority. He's saying something that's scary and beautiful at the same time. He's saying, hey, this is God we're talking about. He spins planets on his pinky. He meets out life and death. He is in charge. He's God. He's the authority. Not you, not me. Not anyone else. He's saying God is judge. God is crino. God's authoritative. He's the authority. What he says at the end of the day goes. It's scary and a beautiful thought. The second thing, though, he probably had in his mind was this ancient Hebrew word shafat. It means to judge as well. And, and Paul was an ancient Jew. He, he knew this language really well, a lot better than I do. Um, and shafat, when you hear that word, when you, when you talk about judgments in, in ancient Israel, 
a shafat was a judge, but, but there was a slight difference. See, when you shafat, when you judge someone with shafat, or when you were in the position of a shafat, when we say God's shafat, a shafat is a judge who at the end of the, the, the hearing, when he makes his declaration, whatever he says gets written down and it becomes law. It becomes the law. So whatever God says, this is, what, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, the Lord is judge. And again, scary but beautiful thought. If God says it's good, it's good. Even if you hate it, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's weird, even if you don't know why, if God says this is good for you, you're supposed to run towards it. And that's it. There is no maybe, there is no if, there is no and, there is no I'll wait. If God says it's good, it's good. You're supposed to pursue it. And if the Shaphat says it's bad, if he says it's wrong, it's wrong. No matter how good it sounds, no matter how comfortable, no matter how nice, no matter how fun, no matter how whatever, he says, God is judge. He's Shaphat, he's the law giver. If he says it's evil, it's evil, don't touch it. Beautiful and terrible, but he's the judge. But the last thing, and this is, why I said that this has been on my heart for a long time. Um, see, the last word in ancient Hebrew for judge is Dan. It's where we get the name Daniel, literally means God is my judge. It's literally the sermon for today. Um, <laughs> um, Daniel, God is my judge. And a Dan judge, when, when you say someone Dan's or when someone is a Dan, it means judge, but again, it has a connotation to it. See, normally when you translate that name, from Hebrew, it's vindicator. It's a personal judge. It's when you make a judgment for someone's personal life. And normally the context is a judge who lets you off. A judge who says, no, this person's cleared. And if you dan someone, if you vindicate them, once you say they're clear, no one can touch them. And this is why Paul says, this is why the Holy Spirit says it's such an amazing, good, powerful, transformational, life-changing thing to understand that God is your judge. Because when you understand that God is your judge, then you really understand he's the authority of existence. What he says goes, he's all powerful. When you understand that he is your Shaphat, when you understand he's the law, if it's good, if he says it's good, it's good. If he says it's bad, it's bad. When you understand he's your Dan, he's your vindicator. When you understand that on the cross, he said it's finished. On the cross, he said you're clean. On the cross, he said sin has no hold on you. All of a sudden, that God who is your judge becomes an amazing, life-changing thing. Transforms everything about us. When we understand God is our judge. There's three things that, at least in this chapter, Paul says happens when we understand that, that God is our judge. But before I go into that, I, I, I wanna just throw one thing out there. And if you, you forget everything else that I say today, I'm gonna begin, really begin and end with this. That was kind of the prologue. I'm really gonna begin and end with this. It is so important. Paul says this in chapter three and chapter five, and so we're not gonna be able to dive into it when we get into the scripture, but I wanna throw this out there because this is Paul's whole point of chapter four because he's already said chapter three and he's gonna say chapter five. And so it's important to understand this. He's saying all this is so important to understand God is your judge is so important because if you don't, you're going to fall every single time into this really easy pitfall, this really easy lie that we love to believe that God is a means to something else. 
and not the end of our lives. See, if God isn't your ultimate authority, if he's not the one who makes the rules for you, if he's not the one who vindicates you, you are always going to make him a means to something else. God is always gonna be, church is always gonna be, your faith is always going to be a way to being nicer, being a better person, uh, a psychological you know, way of a better life, five steps to a happier whatever. And the truth is, I, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but uh, that just isn't real. God doesn't always make our lives easier. He never promises to. He promises to be our good judge. He promises to be the ultimate one at the end of the day who makes things right, but he doesn't promise to make life easy. He doesn't promise to be a means to your political end. He doesn't promise to be a means to your social advocacy. He doesn't promise to be anything or anyone other than the end all of your being. He promises to be the reason why you wake up and the reason why you go to sleep. He promises to fulfill your heart's deepest desires. He promises to give you a life that is beyond what you could ask or imagine. He promises to be the reason for existence, but he doesn't promise to be a means to something else. We will always fall into that pitfall. We will always try and make God about us instead of recognizing that God made us for him if he's not our judge so important. He's not a means. He's the end. But there's three things, there's three things Paul says happens when you make God your judge, when he becomes the end of your life, not a means. He says there's three things that change. See, early in this chapter in verses two through five, he says this amazing thing. I'm going to read it real quick for us. Now it's required that those who have been given trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive their reward from God. See, in verses two through five, Paul says this amazing thing happens. When we make God our judge, he becomes our king. He becomes our ruler. He becomes the one to whom we give authority. And when that happens, fear dies. Fear dies when we make God our judge. When we make God our judge, he becomes our king. When he becomes our ruler, then fear dies. Paul says this. He's talking to the Corinthian church. He's talking to a church, to people he loves. He's talking to people who are like his family. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the spot with, with people you love, but normally we really want to love them and we want them to love us back. We want their affection. We want their attention. But Paul's talking to these people and he literally to their faces says, I don't care what you think of me. You have no power over me. People have no more power over Paul because he's made God his judge. He's made God his king. And once that happens, fear melts away. When it's God whose opinion that you care about, when it's God who rules you, other people stop being able to rule you. And so many of us, if we're being honest, we go through these seasons of our life where we're paralyzed with fear of what someone might think of me if I do this, or what might happen if I say this, or what if, what if, what if, what will they do? We're paralyzed with fear of other people. But when God becomes your judge, you stop worrying about that. It melts away. Same with fear of ourself. Paul says this, I don't even judge myself. Fear melts away in the presence of our king when he becomes our authority, when he becomes our judge. I don't know if you're like me, but if you're like me, I'm a perfectionist 
And I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, at the core of my being, I struggle so much so often with, is that the right decision? Did I do the right thing? Am I okay? Am I doing this right? Is it okay? Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? What decision should I make? I pray, I pray for discernment because I want to make the right decision. And what Paul is saying is God says, that dies. When you make me the judge, when you give me the authority, when you make me king, fear dies in my presence, even the fear of yourself. You don't have to worry about whether you're doing it all right. You don't have to worry about whether you're doing a good enough job because he's changing your life for you. Fear melts, even fear of God. And this is what he says at the end. And this is why Paul can say all this stuff about fear dying, about not fearing anyone, even himself, about not being afraid to look himself in the mirror. He says, not because I haven't done anything wrong. Paul was a murderer. He killed Christians for a living before he became one. He says, but I know my judge. He says, at the end of time, I know God will judge. God will give out the rewards. And I know my judge. My judge is the same one who said on the cross, it's finished. My judge is the same one who on the cross said, your sin is covered. My God, my judge, my authority, my king is the same one who said, I have paid it all. Sin has no more power over me. And he says, I don't know many things, but I know my judge and he's good. So I don't know whether I'm doing everything right. I don't know what people are gonna think about me, but I know who's in charge at the end of the day. I know who my crino is. I know who at the end of the day says whether I did a good or a bad job, and I know he's really good. Fear melts. Fear of other people, fear of yourself, fear of condemnation from God melts when we make him our judge, when we make him our king. The second thing he says, and I'm not gonna dive deep into scripture about this because it's really long, it's a long passage, but in verses six through 13, he starts to get a little frustrated with the Corinthians. He gets a little frustrated with them for a couple reasons, but the biggest reason he says is this, don't you get it? Why are you angry? They're fighting with each other. He says, why are you hurting each other? Why are you weeping? He says, don't you know everything you have, you've received? What do you have that you didn't receive? And see, the second thing that happens when we understand God is our lawgiver. God is our judge. We understand he's giver. And he's a really good giver. See, when you understand that you didn't need to be made, he didn't have to make you. He didn't have to give you the gifts he's given you. He didn't have to give you the love he's given you. Everything becomes a gift. Everything becomes a gift. And that gratitude fills us with joy and hope. It makes us unbreakable. Even and especially in tragedy. Some of us have gone through those seasons being angry at God. Some of us are in that season being angry at God for something that happened. Weeping, hurting, wondering why did you do this or why did it happen? And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, even in the tragedy, there is a gift. Even in the tragedy, there's a gift to be grateful for. And that's a hard word, but it's a good word. And it's one that I've needed. And it's one that I believe we all need. Because God is saying this. And what Paul is saying is this. Hey, you're angry. He's telling the Corinthians, you're angry about all this. Good. Good. Don't you know we serve the God who in the Psalm says, I come against the enemies of my children with a closed fist and a drawn sword. Don't you get where your anger comes from? Don't you get 
Who gave you the ability to get angry? Don't point your finger at the Holy Spirit because he let you get angry about something. You've got hands, you've got feet, you've got resources, you've got a mouth, go change it. If you're feeling angry, he's saying be grateful. Even the anger is a gift. Not the brokenness that caused it, but the anger is a gift. That comes from God. Don't point the finger at God. Go out and change it. It's a gift. He's saying to those of us who are weeping, to those of us who are mourning, he says, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. He's trying to remind them. He's saying, even that's a gift. He's saying, hey, remember, we serve the God who again in the Psalms says, I hold every tear. Every tear is my treasure. Because if you're weeping right now, it's a broken world. It's a really broken life. If you're weeping right now, you're getting a taste, a one-person taste of what the God of the universe feels every second as he watches billions upon billions upon billions of his beloved children not following him, trying to make him a means, missing the end of their life, weeping. He weeps. And if you're weeping, even that's a gift. You're tasting. You're tasting what he feels every minute. Even the tears, even the tragedy, even the anger is a gift. And when we see that, that gift, everything changes. We become unbreakable, absolutely unbreakable. Because, and this is my last point, I'll wrap up here. When we understand God as our judge, if he's really all the authority in the world, if what he says goes, we get filled with power. Then the love of Christ, when you see him as your judge, the love of Christ becomes life-changing. That power, the last thing Jesus said to his disciples in all four of the gospels, one of the last things he says to each and every one of us, he said this, he said, my authority I give to you. See, if he's the judge, if he's the end all, if he's the be all of existence, if what he says goes, then the power of that God, the power of the Krino, the Shaphat, the Dan of existence is dwelling inside each and every one of you. Just waiting. And he says this, Paul says this at the end. I'm just gonna read this for us. Some of you have become ignorant and arrogant as if I weren't coming to you, but I am coming very soon if the Lord's willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For don't you know, the gospel is not a matter of words. It's not a matter of talk. It's not about being nice. It's not about being happy, it's a matter of power, life change. And what the Holy Spirit is saying is this, hey, and Paul says this in his second letter before he actually makes this trip. He says, I'm coming. He sends another letter literally like a day before he gets there or a few days before he gets there. And in his letter, he says this, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves to see if this is really real for you. He says, because Jesus Christ is supposed to live in you. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, that literally means Christ lives in you. And he says this, hey, the gospel, the kingdom of Jesus Christ isn't a matter of words 
It isn't a matter of talk. It's not about being nice. It's power. And I've seen it here. I've seen glimpses of it in this church. I've seen glimpses of people who spend all of their vacation time, most of their vacation time in third world countries serving people, serving the needy. I've seen glimpses of it. I've seen miracles. I've seen prayers answered when we prayed for people for healing, when we prayed for crazy, ridiculous things. I've seen glimpses of it here of high schoolers who are willing to stand up for those who are being bullied, to love the people who are mistreating them. I've seen glimpses of it here. But I want you just to imagine, I want you just to imagine for a minute what would happen if we made him judge of our lives, each and every one of us? What would happen if the love of Christ actually became life-changing for each of us and every one of us in this room? Imagine the lives changed. Imagine the prayers answered. Imagine how much the world would change if we made him our judge. He's not a means He is the end, but when we make him the end, when he becomes our ruler, fear melts away. When he becomes, when he becomes our everything, when he becomes our giver, nothing can break us. When he becomes our power, our lives and the world get changed. When we know we have a different judge, then we learn to live a different life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for this amazing community. God, I thank you so much for this place and this space and these people. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would understand what it means that you are the end of all existence. And God, I pray as we understand that, Lord, you give us your power to change the world. In your name, amen.